0: For all those who feel called to build something bigger than themselves, but have no idea or representation as to how to bring it to pass, this podcast is for you. Let's figure it out together. Get ready. Let's build. Four, three, two, one. Everything that you've been through up until this point has helped you create your why. And when you have a strong why, nothing will stop you. That's Hey, y'all. I missed you. It's been so long. Where you been? Where you been? Where you been hiding? Ain't nobody seen you in a month of Sundays. I don't even know what that means. Can I tell you that I am really excited to be old so that I can say things that also um, only make sense to me and other old people? But I guess that's how life works. Young people say stuff that only makes sense to us and other young people. So I guess that's what happens. But at any rate, what's going on, y'all? Let's get into this. Um, and I steal that from one of my fave people on the internet right now, Miss Tabitha Brown. If you don't follow her, please do. But all of her little sayings, get into it because that's your business. you just all of her little sayings are such a blessing. Let's get into this. Let's get into this word today, Okay. Um this was the second half of the anxiety series that um of the anxiety series of the anxiety sermon on Jesus's sermon about anxiety. And what I loved about it is there're just so many like practical truths in here that I want you to take, okay? And so grab your notes. We is this is a continuation from the last episode. Did Jesus ever talk about anxiety? Uh you know part 2. And so if you enjoyed the last episode, this one goes even deeper and I'm really excited about how this piece wrapped up. Now here's the thing. Honestly, which what's funny about this is I preached this sermon literally the last Sunday of the year in 2019. That's what's so wild about it. I'm posting this as we start to approach the last quarter of the year in 2020, but this sermon is about to be a year old and can I tell you that It's almost prophetic to the year that we had some of the things that I unpacked in this teaching. And so uh, I'll come back and we'll recap some more after this. But let's get into part two of uh, did Jesus ever talk about anxiety? Well, we know from part one. Yes, he did. Let's figure out the rest of what he said about it. All right. Here we go. Let's get into this word. Go to Matthew 6. And we're going to continue exactly what uh, we were working on last month, and I want to take it to a, a deeper and stronger level. We were working on Jesus's sermon about anxiety for the past eight to nine months. I'm so excited that we've been laboring in the same topic about our faith and our mental health and understanding how do we navigate both? That it is possible to be saved, it is possible to love the Lord, it's possible uh, to have the Holy Ghost, and yet still be affected by uh, the pains of this life. And if we don't have good tools and strategies on how to accomplish that, uh, then we will be overtaken by our struggles in mental health. And that is the goal of the enemy. That is the enemy's design, is that we be overtaken. I want to pause there to let you know that the design of the enemy, uh, that one of the enemy's greatest strategies is the, the ability and his desire to overwhelm us. How many of you ever felt like that at this point in the year? That if it was just one of these things, I'd be all right. If I was just thinking about money, if I was just thinking about children, if I was just thinking about work, if I was just thinking about whatever that might be, I would be okay. But there's something about having to deal with it all at the same time. And this is the weight of the enemy. But Jesus comes to us in John 10 and 10. And he says, listen, uh, the thief cometh not but for to do what? And to and to absolutely that that is uh, what the enemy desires to do. He says, I am come. He positions his purpose against that of the enemy. He says, I am come that ye might have what? that you might have life and that the quality of life is important to God. And I want to pause there to make sure that we get that, that the reason why we've been preaching and laboring in this for the past so many months is because God is concerned with your quality of life. Everybody say that. Say, God is concerned with my quality of life. It's not just enough that you would just check off the salvation box. That's the life part that I am reconciled back to God, the father. And then in that I have salvation. I have that life. But then Jesus says, I've come that you might have life more abundantly, that the quality of life after salvation is something that Jesus is concerned about. That's what brings us to understanding mental health. And as we've been going throughout this, we've talked about the whole gamut. We talked about how it exists on all three levels. It exists within the body. It exists in the soul level. That's my mind, my will, and my emotions. And then exists in the spirit level. We talked about all kinds of remedies, the myths and the truths about anxiety. And you can look at parts one through seven or so to uh, unpack some of those. But we came to the end to say, What more did Jesus say about it? Did Jesus say anything else about this topic besides I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly? And as we look and survey the scriptures, we find that he did, that when we look at Matthew chapter six, there's an opportunity to see what I believe is Jesus's sermon about anxiety. Now, anxiety is not all he's talking about. We understand that Jesus is giving truths and principles that's positioning what it means to be a part of the kingdom. He's positioning what it means to be a follower of Christ. But within that, There's an opportunity for us to read what Jesus is recommending as things that relate to how we can win our journey with anxiety and mental health. If you'll remember, I'll give you the first seven of them from Matthew chapter six. The first seven is what we uh, touched on last week. And then I'm going to move into the second seven. The first seven. Number one, Jesus' answer to anxiety, to worry. The first is, stop performing for the measurement and approval of people. That was number one from last time. Stop performing for the measurement and approval of people. He says, listen, when you give, don't give to be seen of people. Don't do everything that you do to be seen of people, to create an identity, to get some sort of affirmation. Because if you live... And if you are raised by people's approval, then you'll be brought down by their rejection. That there's always that the opinions of people are fickle and they are forever changing. So Jesus says, listen, I, I love that, that some of the most peaceful people in life who are free from anxiety are those that don't care what nobody thinks. If you like them, great. If you don't, fantastic. If you're with me today, praise God. If you're away from me tomorrow, praise God. That so much of our anxiety comes from the fact that we live and die by the approval of people. So Jesus says, listen, don't let your giving be to be seen. And he consistently says that if that's who you are, then you have your reward. In other words, if you do it to be seen, then being seen is all you get. Can I say that again? If you do it to be seen, then that means that being seen is all you get out of the giving. Because you didn't sow a seed unto God, you sowed a seed into your reputation. So your harvest is your reputation. But when I sow in accordance to please God, then that means that my harvest is going to come from God. So he says, one, stop performing for the measurement and approval of people. The second thing from Matthew 6, this is taken from verses 5 and 6. Learn the value of genuine alone time. The reason why we're so anxious is because we don't know the value of spending time alone. This is when Jesus is talking about prayer. He says, and when you pray, enter into your secret closet. That's where you recharge. That's where you can get clarity. That's where you can focus. That's where you can let out how you feel into the arms and presence of Jesus. That He's not just saying go into your secret closet for God's benefit. He's saying that for our benefit. I get just as much out of a long time with God as God does. And do you know that that's the reason why we don't spend the alone time that we should with God? It's because we believe we're just doing it for God. We believe that when I pray in my alone time, when I'm shut off, that's just me doing God a favor. But if we knew how rejuvenating that alone time was, we would run to it. We would run to say, hey, listen, I love all y'all. I need about an hour to pray because I'm not right if I don't. I I need this hour with just me and God because I've heard enough of these people. I've heard enough of these people at my job. I've heard enough of my kids. I've heard enough perspective. I need to be alone with God and myself. He says, enter into your secret closet. Go chill for a minute. I'm amazed, and and I'm working on some other research around this. I'm amazed at how Jesus, as eternal and powerful and full as Jesus was, still found it necessary to take time by himself. And there were people who literally were dependent on him. The disciples had left everything that they knew to follow Jesus. So the next time we want to blame our lack of alone time because of who depends on us. No, Jesus had 12 who had left their families and their livelihood. They, they was going to eat based on what Jesus said. He had 12, he had 12 grown children. He had 12 grown children who needed him for identity. They needed him for counsel. They needed him for provision. They said, we don't even know where we going next. You hold the key to everything. And yet he still said, y'all will be all right if I take this hour. Learn the value of genuine alone time. Number three, verse seven and eight. Remember that your needs are already known. The number three is that remember that your needs are already known. That would affect the way we pray. Sometimes we pray with anxiety. We pray like God doesn't see us. We pray like God doesn't know where we are. We pray like God is confused. And so we approach God's throne like, "Uh I don't know. And if you can and would you and possibly and, and maybe and if it's all right. And there's such a peace that goes, wait, you know what I need. And that affects me to pray with more peace and with more power. Remember that your needs are already known. Do you know that a lot of our anxiety comes from the fact that we believe that we have to figure everything out? Let me figure out how I'm going to pay these bills. Let me figure out how I'm going to do this thing at church. Let me figure out uh, where this is coming from. Let me figure out how I'm going to make it through this. Okay, and I got to figure out, and, and I have to figure out, and I have to figure out. And do you know that the biggest weight comes from those three words, I have to? I, I, got, I got to, I got to, I got to. And I'm, lear- I'm, I'm learning, I'm not going to say I've learned because I haven't mastered it yet. Um, I'm, I'm learning that that is the reason why so many pastoral leaders cave under the weight of anxiety and depression and eventually suicide some other things. Because um, we sort of live with the I have to for, for our own lives and for the lives of others. Because many times when you're serving in leadership, so much can make can be made or broken by the smallest action. You'd be surprised how many folks will leave church, like the church, because of one thing a leader or another person did or didn't do. And so when you walk around with that weight, I, I have to, I have to. If I don't do this, so-and-so going to feel this. If I don't do this, then this might happen. If I don't, and that weight of I have to will leave you paralyzed. And Jesus says, maybe you should consider that since your father knows what you have need of before you ask him, maybe you don't have to everything you think you have to. Maybe it's not that you have to, maybe it's just that, You want to because you like being in control. He says, when you pray, know that your father knows what you have need of before you ask. So maybe I don't have to do everything. Number three, remember that your needs are already known. Number four is taken from verse nine. Remember the reverence of God and your relationship with God. Remember the reverence of God and your relationship with God. Remember who God is. After this manner, pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Remember to put respect on God's name. Remember who you're talking to. Remember the reverence of God, that God is big, that God is sovereign, that God is omnipresent and omnipotent, all-powerful. But also remember your relationship with God. I have to remember both. I have to remember how good, how big God is. But I also need to remember how personal God is. That God is God and Father. That God is ruler and friend. That God is large enough to operate from heaven, but still makes God's self near enough to sit with me in my problems. God is big enough to handle what I'm going through. But God is personal enough to care about it. You missed it. Let me say that again. God is big enough to handle it. And yet God is personal enough to care about it. God couldn't do anything if he was just big. Because he might be able, but not willing. Subsequently, if God just cared, he might want to help, like some of our friends, but not have the capacity to. The secret about God is that he's able to both be able... And willing that God is large enough to have the power to do something, but personal enough to care, to want to remember the reverence of God, in your relationship with God. Number five came from verse 10, which is release the desire to have everything in your own order. Release the desire to have everything in your own order. And submit to a divine order. Thy kingdom come means your way of doing things come into my life. The way you do things, the way you approach, the design that you have for my life is what I want to come and reign over me. Release the desire to have everything in your own order and submit to a divine order. Number six was from verse 11. Number six was take one day at a time. That's my favorite, actually. And we'll preach more about that at 1030. Take one day at a time. Jesus didn't say, give us this week our daily bread. (laughs) I thank you for Monday through Friday and Saturday and Sunday. He's a week long provider. He did not say, give us this month our daily bread. He didn't teach us to pray, Lord, I thank you for January. He did not say. Give me this quarter's daily bread. Q1, Q2, Q3, and Q4. He taught us to pray. Give us this. So if I'm supposed to pray for the day, why am I worried about the week? If he taught me to pray for the day, why am I anxious? And you know what's so fascinating to me? Is that God taught us to pray for the day, but we get anxiety about decades. I'm in my 40s now. You ain't supposed to pray for your 40s. Well, since I've been in my 60s, well, I really thought that my 20s, fam, what is that? That is an unnecessary anxiety that we put on ourselves that is anti the way Jesus taught us to approach life. He said, look, and, and again, we're going to revisit this in 30. Watch this. If you manage the day well, the year is guaranteed. Can I say that again? I'm sharing with you what I'm learning. If you manage the day well, the year is only a compilation of well-managed days. Let me say it again. I'm trying to free you from from this burden that we have on our backs about these grandiose things. We're going to get there at 1030. About these grandiose things we're trying to accomplish. I was like, no, 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 no. That's too big for you. We got to be like, Lord, I thank you that from 6 a.m. when I wake up, to about 12, 1, 2 tomorrow morning when I finally go to sleep, you got me. And Lord, we're going to worry about today. Because tomorrow is first of all not promised. And second of all, if it do get here, it's going to take care of itself. 7, verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgiveness is the art of releasing Forgiveness is the art of releasing, which makes space for peace. Forgiveness is the art of releasing, which is what makes space for peace. Y'all with me this morning? Let's go to the next seven, and I'm out your way. Here we go. Verse 13 in Jesus' sermon that I believe we're looking at this sermon in Matthew 6 through the lens of how is this commentary on anxiety? Okay? Verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Okay, I'm gonna stop there. Lesson number eight about anxiety from what Jesus teaches in Matthew chapter six. Number eight, you must have boundaries. Number eight, you must have boundaries. He says, I want you to pray. Lead me not into temptation. Lead me not into the places where I can easily fall. So for some of us, the reason why we fall so often is because we got into what I'm going to call the fall zone. I believe that there gets a point where you so deep in the zone, no matter how hard you try to pray, and mama say, mama sama, kusa, and throw all, you have thwarted yourself into the fall zone. Now God is a rescue, God is able to do anything. But how much more peace will we have if we had boundaries like, I'm not even gonna go in that direction? Because now I don't have to worry about trying to get myself into what I've already gotten myself into. Let me give you an example. Many of us, you, we fall into, when I'm around this person, I start to feel this kind of way and all these emotions come up. And next thing I know, I'm just mad and my whole day is ruined. Okay. Lead me not into temptation. Help me to know how to not be around folks that I don't have to be around. Until I've done the necessary work within me to process that to be who I need to be when I go there. Now, there's sometimes you don't control that. You're just around it by virtue of the situation. But if I can put boundaries around it, why not protect my peace by knowing that literally is some cones around that area. And I don't drive past there. Same thing. Sexual sin. Abuse of any substance. Of anything. Lead me not. Don't don't let me get into the zone. If I'm tempted by you, we probably shouldn't be by ourselves. So if I allow us to be alone, then I'm going to pray, Lord, keep me. Well, I could have been kept by just putting a boundary. Same thing. I just, I know I'm going to say such and such. Okay. Well, the boundaries to be don't say anything at all. You're like, okay, I'm going to get in this conversation, but I'm not going to say what I could say. No, maybe. And so for some of us, we're extremely angry. And that temper produces and it it aligns with that wit that you have in your mouth. You can say anything and bring somebody all the way down. So you get in the conversation and then they're going to try to decide that you're not going to say the stuff you usually say. How about to protect your peace? Hey, you know what? I don't feel the best right now. And I know that if we talk about this right now, I'm going to say some things that I know do not reflect who God is. So I tell you what, can we take six hours? Can we take a half a day? And then I'm going to meet you halfway. We have to have this conversation because it has to be had. But I need to do the work I need to do to make sure we have this the right way. I'm, I'm not even going to lead myself. So lead me not into temptation. You have to shore up your boundaries. There has to be. And, and what I've learned this year is that the true measure of health and of deliverance and of growth is found in what you say no to. Let me say it again: the true measure of health, and of boundaries, and of growth and maturity is demonstrated by what you say no to. I can tell how someone is matured because they say no to the things they used to say yes to. You can tell when somebody is really saving money because they start saying no to spending. You can tell when somebody's really turning over a new leaf in their life because they start saying no to the old people they used to hang out with. You can tell when somebody's really growing in their peace when they start saying no to arguments. He says, have boundaries. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from all evil. Okay? Let's read the second half of the verse. So number number eight was, you have to have boundaries. A life without boundaries will always have anxiety. If you're taking notes, write that down. A life without boundaries will always have anxiety. That's number eight. Here we go. He says, forgive us our... Debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation. Lord, help us to have boundaries. Don't let us get into the fall zone, but deliver us from evil. Watch this. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Lesson number nine. How is Jesus teaching us to approach anxiety? Lesson number nine. Practice gratitude. Practice gratitude. Practice gratitude gratitude. The word practice there is intentional because it is not be grateful. (laughs) It's like, what is that? Just be grateful. No, practice the act of gratitude. Let me give you the first place where we need to do this. When you first wake up in the morning, there's one of two mindsets you can have. It is either all the things that you have to do and have to complain about, or it's all the things that you can be grateful for. One or two postures your mind could take. The first posture is, man, okay, so I gotta be at work at this time, and this is what I didn't finish yesterday, and I didn't call these people yesterday, so I gotta call them, and then the kids got, and then let me, okay, and then they say we gotta be at this place by this time, I still ain't had nothing for dinner. I didn't go to the grocery store yesterday. Oh, wait, I didn't get gas when I came home. I said I was going to get in the morning, but now I do woke up late. So I don't have really time to get gas because I'm going to make. And when that's the list, like, just listening to that, anxiety's already building up. Just like, just listening to that is like, oh, God, what is today? Need a vacation and haven't started yet. Or first thing in the morning. God, thank you for another day. Thank you that my needs are already met before I've even asked for them. Um, Thank you that whatever did not get done yesterday, you will give me grace to accomplish today. I thank you for wisdom and insight on how to be efficient. Thank you for this place I was able to lift my head in this morning. Um, Thank you for protection last night while I slept. Thank you that I was able to wake up. Thank you that you're going to protect me while I get to work. Even if I'm late, you're going to help me be productive. I thank you that there's nothing I'm going to face today. Like, just... Just feel the effect of each one of those. One is a weight. One gives strength. She says, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory for every man. There's a practice of worship. There's a practice of gratitude that gives strength. So the first is gratitude to God about life first thing in the morning. Let me take you deeper. We have to practice gratitude as it relates to one another. Imagine what it might do for your relationships if you thanked people for who they were instead of calling them out for who they're not. I'm going to say it again. Imagine what it would do for your relationships if you thanked people for who they were instead of taking every opportunity to call them out for who they're not. I wonder what would it have done for many of us if we had a leader, a parent, or anybody who prefaced each instruction by saying thank you for a blank. Just imagine what that would do, the psychology of that. Thank you for making up your bed today. As opposed to, why that bed ain't made up? <laughs> thank you so much. And I'm just trying to practice this very simply at work. I'm watching what it's doing to relationships that I can manage all day and dream all day and make money and strategies and all that. But what really is most effective... Hey, thank you for being here on a 12-hour shift today. I really appreciate it. Hey, thank, I, I noticed the way you handled that guest concern. I, I really appreciate that. Thank you. Hey, thank you for, for fixing that. Even my correction is preceded with gratitude. Hey, you know you're not supposed to be doing that. Thank you for taking care of that and having it ready by your next shift. He says, practice gratitude. Practice gratitude with God about life. And practice gratitude with one another that it might produce trust, that it might produce love, that it might produce a lifting of the weight that is caused when we don't operate in gratitude. Lesson 10. Let's move on. I love it. For if we forgive men their trespasses, verse 14, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Okay. Let's go to verse 16. Watch this. Moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance. For they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. But verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy father which is in secret. And thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Here's what he's saying. One was don't give to be seen of men, don't do things to get approval. Then the same message translated in a different way when he says, don't pray out to be heard. Take time for yourself. Recharge in your prayer closet. But this was interesting because he says, when you fast, don't walk away with ashy lips. So that someone will ask you if you've eaten today. So that you have an opportunity to say, I've been fasting before God. He says, no, pull yourself together. That the world doesn't have to know what you're doing to get better. Did you hear what I said? The world does not have to know what you're doing to get better. That's lesson number 10. Keep your process to yourself when necessary. There are going to be some people that God has ordained to be in your journey. And by all means, be open, vulnerable, and transparent with them. But don't have every step of your process advertised to the world. Don't involve people in your labor. when you do, you invite their praise, their critique, their ideas, their formation, their everything. The Jesus says, part of the reason why we have anxiety is because there's too many people involved in your healing process. Too many people I didn't ordain to be involved. Wow, okay. There are some of us who still have people in our life that God has removed from us. But we're trying to hold on to them and use our process as an excuse to do that. God says, it'd be better if you were away from this person. But then you're like, oh, they're just keeping me company because around this time of year, I really just struggle. God says, um, they're not helping you. We're, we're using people many times as a means to medicate, as a means to cover ourselves and how we feel. When God is saying, no, you would get true as healing if you only involved who I told you to. That, that there's not this desire and this goal to have every part of your growth seen. You know, I tithe today. You know, I've been, I've been going to see such and such. I've been going to do such and such. No, he says, listen, wash your face. Wash your face. Involve those who need to be involved. Don't have the anxiety of involving those who don't need to be involved. Not everything needs to be on Facebook. Not everything needs to be on Instagram. Not everything needs to be shared with the world. There ought to be some elements. And God says, when I release you to tell it, you'll know. But while you're fasting, while you're getting it out, while you're digging in deeper, you (laughs) know. I think one of the funniest things our generation does as it relates to um, our faith walk is we like to post when we're having prayer time. (laughs) I see it all the time. Some of my Christian friends are like, I'm about to go before God. Can I pray for you? It's like, bro, just go pray. Just go pray. Don't involve people in your process. Wash your face. Verse 16. Verse 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust do corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Verse number, excuse me, lesson number 11 based on verses 19 through 21, is don't chase materialism. Jesus says, you want to be free of anxiety? Don't chase stuff. If you chase stuff, then your peace is based on whether or not you have stuff. That's why it says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The stability of your life, the stability of your emotions, is oftentimes contingent upon The relationship you have with stuff. If stuff is your God, then whatever is happening with stuff is happening in your heart. Whatever is happening with stuff is happening in your mind. It's happening in your emotions. He says don't chase materialism. And one of the dangers of being in America, in American Christianity, is that sometimes we take capitalism, which is the idea of securing stuff and doing it by any means. Capitalism, how much more can I acquire? And the American dream and all that stuff... And we've made it God's promise. So now we have a bunch of people who just want a house and a car. And that's the basis of their whole spirituality. And this is one of the greatest errors that Western Christianity has done is that we have made capitalism and materialism a sign of the presence of God. And it's not. That you can be rich and that don't mean God favors you. Let me say it again. You can be rich and it doesn't mean God favored you. It could just mean that you're smart and know how to work a capitalist system. That's how wicked people have wealth. That's how you get money and don't need God to do it. Because you could just have a good idea and know how to manage money well and get rich. But in our faith, we have taught people that to have stuff is the symbol of having God. And so in the process of doing so, we've created groups of anxious Christians who are forever trying to genie God into performing something. I'm waiting on the Lord, too. I'm waiting on the Lord, too. I'm waiting on the Lord, too. Lord's going to make a way. God's going to do it. Your miracle is on the way. And Jesus says, that's not how I created you to live. Where well, your treasure is there, your heart will be also. We have to pray the Lord will heal the way we approach stuff. And you know how it reveals how we view stuff? When you're on the verge of losing it. Anybody ever held on to some clothes that you can't fit? But you don't want to throw them away. So you convince yourself I'm gonna lose weight and get back into this. Listen, I got a suit right now that needs to be thrown away. But I've convinced myself that in twenty twenty I'm gonna come back so I can get my thighs and them skinny pants because I thank God for the fitted suit anointing. It's a calling. It's a calling, it's a grace, it's an assignment. It reveals how close we are to this stuff. And God says, no, nah, you got to be comfortable enough to let that stuff go. Yeah. If our entire existence, if our joy is taken away by the fact that we thought we would have more. Then it might mean that we have to go back to verse 19 to 21, which is, Lord, my gratitude is not attached to this stuff. I would be more joyful if my house was bigger. I was like, but you have one. He says, don't chase all that stuff because that means whatever's going on with them is happening with your heart. So when money's good, your heart's good. When money's funny, your heart is in anxiety. God says, that's not the way I designed you to live. God wants us to be so, uh, so, so secure in our heart that no matter what happens with my stuff, I'm still good. Verse number 22. The light of the body is the eye. So if your eye be single, that whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, that whole body shall be full of darkness. If, therefore, the light that is in me be darkness, how great is that darkness? Here's lesson number 12 from verses 22 and 23 that we just read. Monitor what you look at. Monitor what you look at. What you look at will determine what you're focusing on. I'm a firm believer that a great portion of the rise of anxiety, I think, as I think about how it has hit our generation, I think a lot of it is uh, family-based. It's just based upon the family situations into which um, a lot of young people were born into. But I don't think that's completely it because if we survey the generations, everybody was born into um, a difficult family dynamic to some degree or another. And so I'm very careful to not just lift up like this generation grew up in, well, so did everybody. And if we fast forward just probably about five or six generations, imagine what it was Uh, to grow up in a family that was split up by slavery right you know that that that's a whole and and in many senses sociologically and politically we're still living through the effects of that but I say that to say that that's one category of of why we deal with it so much but another category is just the rate at which we consume media the rate at which we overconsume stuff that our minds and our and our emotions and our psychology wasn't wired for us to take in that much stuff all the time, and so we're scrolling through Facebook Instagram and all those things and you're you're drinking politics and media and other people's lives and culture from a fire hydrant that literally within the same span of the hour you'd be hit with um you know, beauty standards and and wars and rumors of wars and what's going on in somebody else's life and everybody's political opinion and sex and 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 money and stuff that you don't have and the rate at which advertising is popping. So now, every two seconds, something's being advertised to you that you don't have, but because advertising's done so well, it's designed to make you think you need it. So imagine this is why it's so hard to do the last one, which is don't chase materialism, because every two seconds, something's being advertised to me like I need it. So that's why this next lesson is so important, that I have to guard what I look at. Because sometimes I'm the only thing I can do is be anxious because I've been so overwhelmed with stuff that I'm not really designed to see at this rate. There are some things that we can't consume if we're trying to stay faithful. Some things we can't consume if we're trying to, to be uh, good stewards over our body. Some things we just can't watch. If you're trying to, <laughs> there, there ought to be some things we just, don't look at like if if you trying not to eat something then maybe you shouldn't follow all the chefs on your facebook okay a, a tongue-in-cheap simple example but the idea is guard what you look at that maybe if we didn't look and and you know what i've even come to understand that we got to watch how much time we spend looking at the news it, it is designed to present and i wish i could go into the the psychology of, of news media if we just look at the ratio of bad stories to good stories a year. Breaking news is always designed to kind of get, you know, the the pit that you feel in your stomach when you see breaking news, like you have to pay attention to it. Like there is some sort of current preeminent danger that you have to be aware of. And imagine if that's all you, if that's all you consume, right? Mass shooting, school shooting, robbery, E. coli in the food, uh, stock markets going down, politics, impeachment, uh, race riot, right? And now that's all I'm consuming. And I wake up consuming that. I'm consuming on my phone through the day. And then that's what I watch right before I go to sleep. And then I want the peace that surpasses all understanding to keep me. Watch what you look at. I've got to move because my time is already up. Here we go. Number 13, verse 24 says this. And let's go home. No man can serve two masters. Either he'll hate one and love the other. Or else you will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and money. Here's lesson number 13. Prioritize your pursuit. Prioritize your pursuit. I have a list of everything I want to do in 2020. Split it into categories. Personal goals for ministry, personal goals for the brand, personal goals for emotional health, personal goals for health and wellness, personal financial goals, personal writing goals. I split them all into the categories. Sign on the time, some more music, some more creative stuff, all that. Then I have another list. That list is different from the first one. The first one at this moment got probably like more than 100 things on it. My other list says goals for 2020. Pray. It's that whole list. One list, got everything I hope will come out of next year. Other list, goals 2020, pray. Because God has taught me, if you just stay in contact with me, all this other stuff you ain't got to worry about. So what we do is, we prioritize this to-do list over the pursuit list. Instead of learning that this, the prayer, the pursuit, the focus on relationship is what gives you the strength, the clarity, the ingenuity, the resources, and the connections to do everything on this list. And you will only have energy for one because you can't serve both. So either you're going to do this and be too tired to talk to God or you're going to talk to God and have everything you need to do this over here. And you get to choose and it has to be intentional. He says, prioritize your pursuit. You can't serve both. So in 2020, we ought to be the people to say, Lord, my one objective is to stay close to you. If I stay close to you, you might do some of these hundred things without me knowing. And it'll take way less effort and way less time and planning on my part. And all of a sudden, just because I was close to you, here go half that list just sat in my lap because I was in relationship with you. There it is. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Why? Because if you delight yourself in me, God says, I will give you the desires of your heart. Because when we was talking, our desires got in line. When we was talking, I showed you what you need to do. When when we was talking, I told you, go here, don't go here. Say this, don't say this. Call the phone, pick up this person. When we was talking, we settled all of that. Prioritize your pursuit. Last thing, I've got to go. My time is done. Last lesson from Jesus' sermon in Matthew chapter 6. Last one, and I must move. Verse 25 through 30. Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you're going to eat or what you will drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Because isn't the life more than meat and the body more than clothes? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather in the barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Here we go. Last one. First, excuse me, lesson 14 from verses 25 through 30 is this. Look to nature. We don't preach about this enough. In the black church, particularly in Pentecostalism. We, we are so mystical sometimes that we forget the simple things that Jesus said, the next time you're feeling anxious, go outside and look at a tree. I know that's the most deep thing you heard all day. I know. It involves a lot of Greek, a lot of Hebrew, a lot of oil, a lot of land on the floor. you got to be a prophet to understand. I, I get it. The next time you're anxious, go outside and just take in nature. This is why I love to go to the beach. Because every time I'm at the beach, I stand on the shore. And I don't even really like the beach like that. Like, you know, part of the, the bougie in me don't like all that dirt. You know, just <laughs> I don't like coming away feeling like outside and smelling like outside. But I love the beach for this reason. I stand on the shore and I just look out on the water. and I'm like, whoa, God, you created this. And then I think about that from the shore, there's a whole bunch of water that I could see. But then there's a point that I can't see, but it's still water out there. And every time I'm at the beach, I remind myself that that's how my life is. I can see my little life from the shore that I'm standing on, but there's so much more life out there and I can't see it, but it's out there. And the same God of the depths of the sea is the same God over my life. I challenge you to just, just walk past some living flowers and think about how the flowers do nothing to grow; they just exist, and everything they need is provided. Just look at a bird. I know they weird looking, but just look at them and be like, "Yo, somebody dropped trash." Maybe even on accident. And a bird had what they needed to make it. That's what your God can do. Your God can make somebody go out on a disability leave and it opens up the opportunity for you to get their job. Somebody could up and have to move to another city and just leave a house vacant and all of a sudden figure out, I I need to bless somebody with this just because I need to get it off my mind. And Jesus says, you're anxious because you have disconnected yourself from the world. Yes, you're my most prized creation. So if I would do it for them, why wouldn't I do it for you? He says this and I'm done. Look to nature's number 14. Very last thing he says is, don't think about what you're gonna eat or what you'll drink or how you'll be clothed. Cause this is what the Gentiles do. Those who don't know God. For your heavenly father, he knows your need of all these things. Watch this verse 33. Princeton, how do we know that Jesus is preaching about anxiety? How do we know? Are you just making this up? Is this I said, Jesus, what are you doing here? No, verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Therefore, take no thought for tomorrow. For tomorrow will take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day. What you need to worry about today is what's going on today. He says, I've shared all these things with you with this instruction. Take no thought. You know what that literally translates to? Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. Jesus said, a lot of what I preach to you, a lot of my kingdom order is to just get you in the place where because you're focused on me, because you seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, everything will be added. Everyone's standing, I'm done. Lord, I speak over this house, the word of addition. I thank you that while we focus on you, the things that we worry about shall be added. They shall be added. I give you praise right now that these things that we are concerned about shall be added. The things that we are afraid of, the things that we don't think are going to work out shall be added. And I give you great glory, honor, and praise. I thank you that anxiety will not have a hold on the people of God because we've read your word we've heard your instructions we heard how you taught us to pray and we've heard what you've instructed us to and so we give you glory and honor and praise that because of your word we will not be controlled by anxiety neither this day nor the things to come because we will take this thing one day at a time knowing that you will provide for us in Jesus name amen who was Jesus preaching or was Jesus preaching okay Jesus said some stuff that helps us about anxiety I think one of my favorite parts of part one and two in looking at Matthew chapter six is the whole give us this day our daily bread. And when I tell you much of anxiety and our struggle with it is shaped by our ability to live in the present, Um, not future state anxiety, not present state anxiety, not anything anxiety over the past coming back to us, but really just living in the present. And um, I preached what will probably be one of the most important sermons of, of my life called Manage the Moment. And maybe I'll post it here on the podcast at some point. Um, I preached it Watch Night 2019, the New Year's Eve 2019 at West Angeles Church of God in Christ. Maybe I will post it. But um, in the meantime, you can go check that out. It is on YouTube, but I might post it here for the podcast audience. Um, it was called Manage the Moment. And uh, it was just about like, hey, don't worry about the year. Don't worry about, you know, life, my 20s. How's this going to happen? Like if if we can master being present we can master peace. And, um, you know, that's what I hope you take from this. Feel how you feel. Stand fully in the present. If you're in a great relationship, be present in that. Um, Be present in the process in that relationship where you're at right now. If you're not in a relationship, be present. Manage the moment. Give me this day. What do I need for this moment? If you're grieving, don't rush out of that. You do not have to be any place. You do not have to be there or have to be strong or have to listen, be where you are, feel what you feel, stand where you're standing and ask God, give me everything I need to be everywhere that I should be for this moment. And then help me be at the next. That's so freeing. And that's so powerful. Um, yeah, I think there's like one more, one last little wrap up sermon as we talk about anxiety and, uh, I just want you to be encouraged. I want you to know there's so much more that we could talk about. We'll come back to this topic at some point. I want to talk about some more stuff. We are like nine episodes, maybe 10, I don't know, deep in anxiety. So I'm going to talk about some other stuff, but we'll come back to this because I've realized that um, this is not just a sermon series. This is what I'm called to. And the more I do these things, these sermon series, podcasts, talking to people, the more I find out, like, you know, I knew the what I'm supposed to preach. I've known that since I was four, but like. Who I'm called to and why am I called? And I realized that helping people navigate faith and emotional health in general, not just anxiety, but also depression and hard conversations and trauma, being a trauma informed pastor and preacher and thought leader is a major part of my calling. So we'll come back. I hope you've been blessed so far. Hey, if you have subscribed to the podcast, share this with somebody and let me know what was your favorite truth? about anxiety that you got from Jesus over these past two episodes and send it to me or tweet it, post it on IG, share it to your stories that means so much to me when you share it, it really really does, um, because it lets me know that what I'm doing is reaching people and helping them, which is all I want to do I love y'all so much and I believe that times are crazy and I think the hard part is they're going to get crazier, I really believe that they are and yet we're going to walk in peace And we're going to walk in wholeness and we're going to walk living in lives that are affected, but not controlled by the environments in our lives that provide us and cause anxiety. So you can be free and you can walk in peace. I love y'all so much. With God as your foundation and purpose as your motivation, keep building family.